Welcome to the Market Couple, episode two. Uh, I'm Gary, and I'm here with Philip. And today on this uh, finance and investing podcast, we're going to talk about debt and investment, and whether we should be focusing on paying off debt before we invest, or maybe both. So, Philip, let's start with debt. What's your What's your view on on debt that we're carrying, and whether we should be uh, getting rid of that before we start? our investment journey well i think the first thing we should open up and to invite introduce to the audience is there's lots of types of debt of which you might be able to say some are better debt than other debts okay so are you saying there's good debt and bad debt yes so if you put it this way you could class let's take the extreme case of bad debt payday loans really high interest rate credit card bills say 30 percent that sort of thing as being the bad end and then you say good debt stuff like mortgages or asset-backed loans where the interest rates are very low comparison relative okay so i guess what you're saying there is bad debt is bad and good debt isn't quite as bad yes effectively what we're saying here is bad debt is extremely expensive debt good debt is not anywhere near as expensive debt and if we define it that way it probably helps okay so the the debt that we really want to avoid then is those high yes. interest rate debt and maybe not get that accumulated in the first place but there's surely some of this debt we can't really avoid yes there is so you're quite right there i mean you ideally you want to avoid payday loans or really high credit card debt although sometimes that might be necessary but you want to minimize that length of time so the other one is then you'll have stuff like if you want to buy a house you're almost certainly going to have to get a mortgage to be able to afford it so therefore, you have to take on that debt. But it's spread over a long period of time. The interest rates on that are quite low because it's secured against that property if you if you default. But there are some cases there where you go and there's other types of debt you can have problematic. An example would be, say your car breaks down and suddenly you're going, well, I've got to repair it or I've got to replace it. Do you have any spare savings around that can suddenly do it or suddenly go, oh no, that's where I've got to use the credit card to pay for it. Or heaven to be even worse, I've got to use a payday loan company to pay for it. The boiler's broken down, I've got to pay for it. That's a sort of emergency debt. If you can avoid that, great. If you can't, well, maybe you'll have to do that. But then you want to get rid of that debt and pay it off as quickly as possible. Not necessarily pump it all into your mortgage, for example, or pump it into investments. You want to get rid of the, you want to pay down the high cost debt first. Okay, so yeah, so I mean, people talk about having a rainy day fund, and I guess if you don't have a rainy day fund, i.e., some some money in in the bank to pay for those things that break and everything, every, you know, lots of things do, as you've said. So you could pay off that debt as quickly as you can to avoid interest payments. Yes. So as I say, we we didn't want to necessarily go down. A rabbit hole in terms of talking about credit cards and various things today so if we focus in on the the good debt we've talked about mortgages just briefly there we're saying that that's an okay type of debt you could consider it as debt you've taken on to invest it's part of there that has you're using it to buy a house that you're going to live in okay and it, and in episode one i think we talked briefly about um, well, certainly our views on uh, whether to buy property or invest in other things. You know, let's assume you've, you, know, you do need to get a deposit together to be able to get a mortgage. But let's assume you've got your mortgage because you've saved to get a deposit. With the money, let's say you have spare money at the end of the month. So you've paid your mortgage payment. Let's go and put some money in the stock market or into bonds or some, some, some sort of investment 
vehicle that allows you then to get a return on that money. Is that is that the best thing to be doing with that money? Not necessarily. The best analogy I can give, if you remember the, sometimes in films you have the pyramid of wine gla- of champagne glasses and they fill it up at the top and it cascades down. If you think that about some of your investments. So if you, first thing you want to do is you want to have your rainy day fund. And this rainy day fund is there purely to say, something breaks, I don't have to borrow to get it fixed. But this, and the reason for that is it's, it's going, you're not going to get much interest on it because it's totally it's as liquid and a saving scheme as you can find so it's probably with a bank if you then consider once you've topped that up to a certain amount the next one down i can lock it up a bit because if something goes wrong i take the money out of the rainy day fund and then i re top that back up so then when you're moving on to the next one you're going now nah, that's an interesting one do i want to invest in the stock market or buy bonds or have another savings account or do I want to pay down my debt or my mortgage but I would say is once you've got your rainy day fund done first then start thinking about that and then it comes down to maybe different circumstances uh, here you could be saying going there is a lot to be said about paying down your debt early if you can it gives you more flexibility in the future you'll actually make bigger savings in the future by every extra pound you pay in now compared to what it'll cost you later on by reducing your total mortgage term it can be actually a far better thing than saving than put it into stock market so but it is a balance everyone has slightly different circumstances so it's not always easy to generalize but that's the point when you want to start thinking about do i want to do a pay down my debt in my mortgage or B, do I want to invest it somewhere else? So, yeah, so I guess if we t- took the scenario where someone doesn't have a mortgage, make sure you've got a little bit of cash in the bank to pay for those unforeseen things. Do, do we have any sense of how much, you know, what's the guidance on that? Is there any kind of, I guess it's a different number for everybody, but is there, you know, is there a number that you've got in your head around people should have? Maybe, maybe we can talk in generalised know numbers of months of salary or rather than you know specific numbers i mean there's no hard and fast rule here but some things that have been battered around when you talk to financial advisors and other things is they're going several months worth of ideally several months worth of salary as your rainy day fund that sort of then covers the things going i've had an expensive bill on the service of my car i need to i could buy a brand new boiler if the whole thing packs up it gives you that level of flexibility. Plus, if anything goes wrong when you're employed and your employer goes bust, you have a bit of flexibility. But it's a general rule. Some people save a lot more than that. Some people save less than that. But it gives you a rough idea of maybe the sort of size you might want to consider. Okay, so that, that sounds good. So let's say you know, two to three months salary, and then that, that's kind of a more generalised approach. It means that you can you know, pay your rent, pay your mortgage, for a few months before you need to worry about anything and it's also probably worth considering in case your employer does go bust the state system doesn't kick in immediately so if you've got a, a month or two's grace because you have your own cash savings you don't get into big big debts while the, go- the government systems sort themselves out because they're not known to be fast i think again looking at episode one we talked a little bit about saving savings accounts and and, and putting the money in the bank there are accounts out there that can pay a few percent Yes. of return on that money so it's not just sitting there being reduced by inflation which we did we did talk about before true but it's also worth looking here inflation is not the biggest risk for this particular savings pot so even if you were getting a very low interest rate the fact that it's very, you instant access is more important than locking it away for five years to get your extra two percent that's the sort of analogy it's instant access if i'm losing against inflation 
so be it because its job primarily is to stop you having to borrow at 30 40 or a thousand percent interest because in an emergency loan that's what you're trying to prevent here with right. that savings so, yeah. scheme so, so this comes back to the liquidity exactly we talking about in episode one so i just encourage anybody that's not li- listened to episode one to do that where we go into a bit, bit of detail about your about your options so we've talked about th- that element of having a rainy day fund to avoid these high or bad bad debt scenarios you know whether you you're paying your rent every month and and you've got your rainy day fund or paying your mortgage whatever you're doing surely then we can put some money into the into a, a, a an investment vehicle that starts to give us money back right but yeah that's exactly the moment when you'd want to consider because there if it's locked up for a year it's not the end of the world so let's go back to um the mortgage scenario then uh philip so let's to give me i i'm i'm the example in this case you know i've got a mortgage i'm paying that every month thankfully got a little money a little bit of money to do something with outside of the rainy day fund we've talked about am i not better off paying down the mortgage and can I indeed do that? Answer to the second part of the question, can I do that? Yes, you can. Almost all mortgages allow you to overpay to a certain amount. It'll be buried in the details of your mortgage exactly how much you can overpay by. Uh, it's only if it's a very discounted fixed-term deal there's there no option. But it's worthwhile looking at your records and you'll see what you, what you exactly can and can't do. Should I do that? In our current climate, Yes. It may not have been stuff that our parents did in the past, but that's because, shall we say, what used to happen because of inflation was much higher than it is now. So historically, so such as my parents, your parents and their generation, you tended to borrow as much as you could afford at that moment. You lived as a pauper for two to three years and then you never worried about your mortgage debt again because every year we had relatively high inflation in those years and, in, and interest rates were high on that mortgage. So you were paying a huge percentage of your income at the first couple of years on your mortgage. But then you had a few pay rises, providing your company didn't go bust. And after three or four years, it halved in its value of what it used to cost you every month. And then you get to 10 years later and you're going, well, it's a pittance compared to what it used to be. Now we're living in a low inflation environment. The real cost of that debt stays higher for longer. So actually, it's probably more beneficial now to overpay when you can than let inflation do what it did for our parents' generation. So it's something you really would want to consider. Right. So the the paying down of debt sounds like a good idea. Yes. Even though we said it's good good debt, if there is such, we can use that use that term. So paying that down is is good, and you need to have a look. We, I mean, we're really talking about repayment mortgages. You know, yes. Interest only is a different. That's a topic um, for a different day. Yeah, a different uh, topic there. So let's take the, the the view that you've got a repayment mortgage. There's the option to overpay, and as I say each mortgage will be different. I guess over a certain amount of overpayment, there's going to be a charge. Depends. Now you're in the details of different mortgages. Some do, some aren't. Some it can be really small. Some it can be quite large. It's now in the detail. But it's worthwhile thinking when you're overpaying every penny that you're overpaying. None of that is going in interest payments now. That is extra capital repayment. So, for example, say you manage to overpay by a hundred pound a month. That means at the end of that year you have paid £1,200 extra. That's come straight off the capital. Whereas when you're doing your general minimum mortgage repayments, you probably find it may be only 10% of what you're paying is coming off the capital. Because generally what it is, is the first years it's mainly interest rate and it slowly trickles down and the last payment is 100% capital repayment. So everything you can do earlier means it's £1,200 they can't charge any interest on next year. And that's where it can make a big difference in dropping the number of years. And that's where you make 
really, really big savings over the longer term. Also, it does have the benefit in the fact that you're overpaying now. If something goes wrong in the future, maybe you get made redundant. You've got far more flexibility because you've already overpaid. So you can take what is called a payment holiday, which gives you flexibility, mm-hmm. which at I a like time when you that. might need the flexibility. Yeah, yeah, I like the sound of that. So you're banking some... So, some, you know, it's almost like a rainy day fund for your mortgage. Yes. Um, and it also sounds like, you know, I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail on here, but if you were looking at like a, a, a plot or a graph of that repayment, if you were overpaying from day one, do we have a way, you know, is, are we talking more of a linear relationship, so straight line, straight down on, on the mortgage capital depreciation than, like you said about this slow trickle and then... You know, I can almost see like a waterfall effect. You go down the river and eventually you're straight over the waterfall where your capital starts to drop quickly towards, but you're talking, like you talk about a standard 25-year mortgage. Is, is that what we're looking at? If you were looking at trying to understand how quickly that capital depreciates or okay. reduces. It could be the case. If you started overpaying reasonable amount at the beginning, it could be like making significant reductions in your t- number of years. So you say you started out with 30-year mortgage. If you really started overpaying right from day one, you could make it, reduce it by two thirds, bring it down to 10 years, or maybe even better. Because it, it's not just bringing it down that waterfall, it's crashing it down in comparison. It really drops around and it's it's not a linear loan. It's a, because you're effectively, it's compound interest you're avoiding, which is an exponential function. It has that in reverse when you're paying it off early. Because it's an interest that can never be in- charged to you every year of that 25 year mortgage. Okay, so so it sounds like a good thing to do if you've got the capacity to do it. And it also sounds, from what you're saying, in terms of the change of, of behavior, in terms of how, how interest rates are, is that you know it's, it's more challenging to get rid of that debt these days because it's not being changed by inflation to the degree it used to be. So it's, it's almost like hanging around and you just can't get rid of it. Yes. It doesn't disappear. It's not like the value of the properties are going up massively with inflation and your debt is reducing as a proportion of the price of the, of the yeah. property. And maybe this is where maybe the analogy is correct, but maybe not quite as visual for the, the listeners. It's not the amount of the debt relative to the value of the property. It's all about servicing the debt. So it's the relative amount of your monthly interest charges against your monthly income. Because the big thing when we had high inflation was your wages went up, but the mortgage didn't go up that much as a percentage of your monthly income. And that's where today in our low inflation environment, this mortgage hangs around. It stays at 30-ish, maybe 40% of your income for virtually the 25 years. Whereas before, it crashed down after 10 years to maybe being a tenth of the percentage it used to be. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess we benefit from lower interest rates for the mortgage. But at the same time, the debt doesn't disappear anywhere near as quickly as it used to. So it may look good. So I think we've said there that it's worth paying down the debt, good or bad. In fact, it's better to avoid the bad debt where we can. So you've, you're trying to you know, service that debt and reduce the debt on, or the good debt. Is, it, is there any value then in putting any of that? Say, you, say you, you, you've got, you, know, you said about paying off £100. Let's say you've got another £100 spare. You put that into an investment vehicle. What's the, you know, how well does that investment have to do 
for you to then say, no, I'd just rather pay it off the mortgage. Just be easier, surely. Because it's less hassle. I don't have to worry about how it's performing. I'm not going to lose money there. It's very interesting at this point because you have another risk that um, you, it's often called opportunity risk. Because you're doing one thing, you can't be doing a different thing with it. So if you're overpaying using all your spare cash to overpay your mortgage, you have no opportunity to put that and maybe invest in the stock market. Now, there are times when the stock market goes up and you'll be missing the opportunity. There are times when the stock market, if you're careful, you're picking companies that pay a dividend and those, the aim is to grow those dividends. So you'll be having growing interest payments from those, oh, sorry, income from those, which you'll be missing because you're totally overpaying your debt. So there is comes a point where you might want to hedge your bets and do half and half, but this is on the overpayment side. And it sometimes get difficult because you're trying to second guess which way the future's going to go. There is something to be said about you may not want to put all your eggs into one basket into the, only into overpayment. Then again, or how you want to break that down. Should it be 50-50, 25, 75? Now that's quite a hard debate to make because it's difficult to foresee the future. But there is things to think about on that side. You may not want to go 100% overpayment with all of your spare cash. Yeah, I mean, we've, all, we've all got to live and there's other things going on, as you said, so you might find that uh, you need the money for other things. But I, but I think there's certainly value in looking at your individual situation and working out what you're comfortable with. Yes. Because, um, you know, episode one, we talked about risk, what people can, can deal with, what can they can tolerate, still sleep at night. But I guess if you feel like you are essentially another way of saving by putting money into you know an investment vehicle whether it's a stock market or, or something else you're you're coming back to this view of having a balanced portfolio of things in your view of trying to become more wealthy let's say and less indebted so you are saying well i've got my mortgage i can't really do a lot about that i don't have enough money to go and buy a house outright or you know i'm renting and that's what i want to rent in a certain place and i like that place but I then have got to try and say, well, I need a rainy day fund. If I'm going to invest further, I want to look at the, the stock market or something similar. But you, but you turn around and say it comes back to balance, surely. And I could probably say with almost 100% certainty, my opinion of what I'm of risk and my tolerance to risk is different to yours. We may or may not be similar, but it's definitely not the same. I think I can safely say that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly fairly risk averse. But I think in summary then, we talked about the good and the bad debt. I think we want to avoid the bad debt where possible. You said earlier on it's not always possible, but you look to get rid of that as soon as possible if you are. Because I think those situations where people get themselves into that bad debt situation and it escalates, it can end end badly. But also on that point, I remember somebody who... They were very canny. They were very knowledgeable about their finances and they liked to save a lot. They used to lock all their money up into the best cash ISAs and savings accounts. But they didn't un- They didn't consider the rainy day fund. So one day, their car broke to the point where it wasn't worth repairing. It- so he had to go borrow some more money to buy a new car because he couldn't access any cash because it's all locked away for three to four year savings terms. What he had to pay for that loan, now admittedly, he got a reasonably good credit rating so he didn't get paid a lot. But even so, a personal loan at that time was not cheap. And let's just say it wiped out all his savings for the next three years just borrowing that money. So it would have been better to not bother to get the interest off the stuff and have it liquid. That's what I'm trying to talk about there. And he never saw that as an uh, as a concept until it hit him. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good example because you know we talked in the first episode about risk and how your savings can be 
eroded let's say by inflation but at the same time you know yeah you have to worry less about your rainy day fund on that front and more about just liquidity that allows you to instant access and it's cost avoidance isn't it which is exactly. often a difficult thing to understand but it's the it's the avoidance of not having to pay for something and paying over the over the top for uh for, for money you, you uh didn't see that you needed exactly Okay, Philip, so I, I guess we, uh, in the interest of time, we're going to try and um, wrap up shortly. So a couple of things that came to mind was we talked about, let's say, the absence of high inflation at the moment, and perhaps also a, a little bit about different mortgage types. At various points in history, you know, we've had quite high inflation, and we've also had some fairly generous mortgage products out there, like interest-only mortgages. So let's stick with the first one in terms of inflation. Are we going to see inflation come back to a, to a higher level than it's been well, any time soon? Let's say you know I I don't I, I don't know you didn't bring your crystal ball with you today, but let's let's um, start with you know with, well is that going to is it going to re, re uh, reappear? That's a very interesting question, and if I knew the answer to that, I'd be a billionaire superstar trader, <laughs> but I'm I'm not. So and also, or I could be governor of Bank of England because he's also got no idea either. His, his job is. He's up for grabs soon, isn't it? Well, yes. Well, but then, officially, if you looked at the statistics, I mean, they have a target and they haven't been able to achieve their target for a long time. So it's very difficult to tell. So I'm afraid of that one. I have no idea where it's going. And there's a lot of people who have paid a lot of money to try and estimate where it's going. And I'm not sure I know. Right. So inflation may or may not go up Above the down, government statistics. <laughs> depending on, on what, a number of sort of factors. So let's look at inflation then in terms of how it's measured because I'm, I'm sure some people might not be aware of how it's measured or more importantly they might have heard things like cpi rpi what's the what's the measurements here that we understand inflation and and what you know because the other thing i've heard is you know like a basket of goods you know you like i'm wandering around you know wherever wherever you shop aldi or morrison's or something with a basket of goods and then that's what's understood to know you know whether that is going up in price or down in price so what what are the measures that we we should be aware of well if you ever have lots of time and you go to the office of national statistics website you'll find that there is a plethora of different ways to measure inflation of which consumer price inflation is historically what most people are interested in Although there are other types of inflation measures they use, such as the GDP deflator for inflation. But that's very esoteric, and we're not economists, so we ignore that for the moment. Let's just go back to the stuff that affects you and I as consumers. So it's the consumer price inflation or wage inflation. Historically, we had retail price index, RPI, as the inflation measure. And this is where the average basket of goods that you bought every week or every month, they used to go and measure those. And the relative change of those they then decided that was what your inflation measure was. It used to measure things such as your rent, your pints of beer, uh, milk, bread, most vegetables, TVs, radios, cars, servicing, a variety of different things that most people in the country would buy at some time on a weekly or monthly basis. Later on, when we joined the European Union, you realised that when trying to harmonise your, uh, your consumer price index an inflation measure you realize that the germans don't really do things the same as the brits for example we buy houses the germans don't really they rent so that caused our component of well we probably have a bigger weighting for mortgage interest changes than renting because historically 
60% historically people tended to buy houses in Britain whereas it's much much less than 50% in Germany so I think what they did for CPI was they just stripped out the mortgage and housing costs so we could harmonize it across Europe so we could average it out but if you look at Britain for example you're finding out they're going well, actually housing costs whether they be mortgages or, or rent is a big component of what most people pay on a monthly basis of their wages mm-hmm. so actually what you might be looking at may or may not represent what happens to you. So they've been trying to fix this by having some sort of rent or mortgage element into the consumer price index. I've forgotten what they've called it now with CPIX or something. But they've tried to uh, coordinate that. But it's still quite difficult to try and work out what it is you're actually buying and what it is is going up. Because in many things, you think about your TVs. TVs, I remember as a kid, used to cost a lot of money. Like you'd save up a lot to buy a TV. Now, you can buy an awful lot of TV for the same price it used to cost for not a very big TV in the 80s. So when you look at it as a percentage of average wages, TV prices are crashed through the floor. They're deflationary, not inflationary. And then you look at certain food stuff, they've gone down in price. And then there's other items that have gone up in price. So we've got a number of ways of measuring it by the sounds of it, but it from what you're saying is that the consumer prices index the cpi is the one that is probably reported on your you know favorite local news station or national news but inflation in that sense is also it's 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 a how we feel isn't it it's how we feel in terms of how well off we feel is as we said about the basket of goods if you're going down the shop every week and you're coming away with less change or you know you're spending more money on your credit or debit card that that makes you feel worse off if if you're paying more every every week so what we're saying then i I guess is that the measurement is a little arbitrary and that the the measurement can change to suit whatever uh is the right the the right is deemed as the right measure so really i guess for us it's about saying saying to each individual you can measure your own inflation you could actually create your own basket of goods yourself to say what's going on here to come back to the fact that is more is inflation coming or increasing and therefore this this rising inflation is is in is in the post because surely we're going to see an uptick in prices to then say well actually yes we might be seeing an increase but is there seasonality to that there is partly seasonality to that because then you'll see from when you're buying your food stuff various different things got down in price one of the biggest drivers in the uk's case is the exchange rate. When the exchange rate goes up, so you buy more pounds against most other currencies, inflation in the UK drops. When it goes down, inflation tends to go up 12 months later. And the reason for that is an awful lot of stuff, foodstuffs or raw materials are bought in. They're not made in the UK anymore. We buy an awful lot of foodstuff. We haven't been able to grow enough food in the UK to feed ourselves since before the Second World War. So generally, we're quite sensitive to those sort of things with the movement in the pound's value against other currencies. So you can, there are people that look at this and look at pounds gone down and they'll know inflation's gonna go up, into, uh, likely to go up in 12 months. But also like you said, you know by what you spend per month relative to your salary and what you spend on petrol there and also what you spend on food. So you get an idea yourself when you're saying, I'm buying the same things, but it's taking more and more of my sa- percentage of my salary up. Yeah, inflation's going up. The real cause of why could be very difficult to find out, but you'll get to see some you know, some inkling from your own spending habits. Yeah, so I th- so I think there the point is to try and keep half an eye on your on your shopping basket or whatever it is you you buy on a regular basis that you you know you like. There's a certain 
you know, packet of sweets I know I like. And when they're on sale, they're on for about a pound. And I saw them in the shop yesterday and they were on for £1.25. Is that inflation? It certainly feels like inflation to me. That's a significant... No, a 20% increase is not inflation. That's hyperinflation. So we've talked a little bit about inflation there and, and whether that's going to increase. And I think, you know, we're, we're saying we're not, we're not 100% sure at the moment. Uh, but hopefully the data will... will show us that, that there's something perhaps in the post we go to the, the the comments about mortgages you know you can you can take on a lot more debt than you can otherwise probably afford are we likely to see those kind of mortgage products come back so i mean and obviously we're talking uk here it's difficult to say i mean those type of interest only mortgages cause a lot of trouble in the run-up to 2009 but the fundamental problems that caused them to get to be offered haven't really changed. The main problem is people want to buy a house that they live in for their home. However, prices were going up and the problem became affordability. And it's not so much what it costs, how much, what the multiples of income to house prices really are. All it really matters is I can afford this many, this much per month, which is a percentage of my salary. That's all I can afford. So how can I afford to borrow enough money to buy the house? There's several ways of doing it. You can drop the interest rates, which the Bank of England and the government have desperately tried to do to stop the whole housing market and the banking system imploding. You can extend the term to make the mortgage longer. Now, that's what they have been doing as the average mortgage now is not 25 years, it's over 30. Or the other one is, I could stop paying the repayment part of it. And if I only just pay the interest charges, then that monthly amount means I can borrow twice as much because I can only still hit the same amount of money per month. So there will always be a driver from the financial industry to want to sell those sort of products because they, it's all about volume for them because it's commission-based. So they'll want to sell it. How much the Bank of England the government can rein them in is somewhat political. While we can still feel the pain from the last time it caused it, there will be difficulties in them be allowed to sell many of them. But as that memory fades and the public are not so worried about carnage and the repossessions and the so forth that it caused, the politicians will, uh, will lean on the banks to offer them, to stop, stop the Bank of England, preventing the banks from offering those sort of products. But it's worth remembering, with those products, you're only paying the interest. At the end of it, you sell the house or you use some other saving vehicle to pay off the debt. And if you happen to sell the house for less than the, what you borrowed for, you've got to find that. So all you're really doing is kicking the can down the road, hoping you can roll the debt over, remortgage. There is no repayment side to it. So it can be a big disaster waiting to happen because it assumes, well, I'm just going to double my value of my house price. So I'll pay it off at the end when I sell it. Right. So, but in that <clears> scenario, then we're talking about a situation where if we get inflation back and as you said, people are more relaxed about the mortgage products that are on offer, interest only would be quite good, right? Because earlier on we said, I say good because I'm trying to play devil's advocate here or at least be the positive side of that. It, the, the property goes up in price, albeit with inflation, but let's say, so we're not talking about real values here, but it goes up and it's worth more. So that shrinks, your debt is shrinking relative to the house price. So even if you said you were going to sell at the end of the point of the mortgage is, is due, you're going to be a lot, you're going to have a lot more money in your hand. You can clear that debt. So you say about kicking the can down the road. So the inflation coming back might not be the worst thing for those kind of products. No. Let's assume. Let's you know. Let's just assume in a crystal ball. We're saying, hey, we're going to get inflation back at some point. Off you go with your interest only. Those people on interest only right now. You could argue, well, it, mortgage rates are really low. So those people on interest only now are not necessarily getting a great deal unless the value of that debt in the mortgage period of time is going to be in a better position for them when they need to pay that off. 
is, is that scenario then where we do get rampant inflation, are those mortgage products going to be, and we're talking hypothetically here, the house price going up, is that just going to be a better way of, of, of borrowing the, the good debt that we talked about earlier on? It's very difficult to say because unfortunately this is a 25 year gamble. And because of the length of time, it's a one-chance one gamble. Now, interest-only mortgages caused a lot of trouble in the late 80s, early 90s, where they were attached to endowment policies that didn't pay up. And people weren't, weren't really clued up to find out that the endowment policy was not going to clear the debt, and that caused a lot of trouble. Then in the run-up to the 2007-2008 period, basically banks were making money, left, right, centre, sell any old product, liar loans, you didn't do any basic checks going, could you afford this? It doesn't matter. There's only one, prices for houses only go up. But historically, houses don't. Now, in recently history, for most of our generation and my parents' generation, yeah, it's been a one-way street with a few blips. You go back longer, there are decades when houses did nothing. In most of the countries, houses don't always go up we lived in a very special time but so many people don't remember that because they weren't around so it also with these endowment mortgages or interest only mortgages they cause a lot of trouble in the early 2000s because banks made a lot of money just from selling they wanted turnover they got a commission on every so i don't want to sell ten thousand i want to sell a hundred thousand because i get one i get a pound of a hundred thousand or a pound of ten thousand the fact that you really you could afford it not my problem so and it kicked it down the road. And still, there's a large chunk of people on interest-only mortgages now that might regret if they're picking them up because they've now got to find another way. It's great if you can say, yeah, because effectively, interest-only mortgages are like renting, but you've made a gamble now that at least the house will be the same value as you sold, as you borrowed it for so that you can over, so you could sell up and go. So it's, it's a different class of risk, but it's a risk over a very long period of time that has caught a lot of people out in the past. Right. So, yeah, it sounds like, again, if we are you know, your, your stereotypical risk-averse person who would like to have a nice, safe environment, like, the, you know, the repayment mortgage is your best bet, or never borrowing any money in the first place is probably the better bet, but just pay, pay what you've borrowed in a nice, steady way over the period of the mortgage. Overpay if you can, and if you're a little bit more adventurous you can look at these other types of mortgages um, because I guess what we've been talking about in terms of should I pay off my debt what you're really saying with this with the interest only is you're not paying off the debt you're paying the interest so you could do something else with that money but it it is a gamble as you said and there's risk associated with that so is that a fair summary that's a fair summary I think okay well I think in the interest of time, we've probably covered the the debt versus investment pretty well today, Philip. So thanks for that. Is there any other comments you or things we th- you think we've missed? Well, there's lots of other, should we say, specialist types of mortgage. There is stuff around where you could buy a mortgage in a foreign currency, but they're not your average invest. Not your average person has access to those, so I wouldn't necessarily consider those at the moment. But maybe we can go into those another time. And there's a bunch of horror stories from the 80s, the 90s, and the early and the late 2000s. I can tell about those, but we'll say that for another time. Okay. So thanks to Philip for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks very much.
This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities. Nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.